0: Welcome, listener. Join us for this Clear Path to Success professional development podcast. Welcome to the Clear Path to Success podcast for business development. This is a podcast where we intend to inform and educate you and to help you navigate the challenges of your practice by hearing about the successes and challenges of your peers. I am your host, Robert Yakos, a practitioner and a business owner. Today, we have another great episode coming up. I'm interviewing Dimitri Bolas, he has a thriving practice in New York City. He has a unique treatment system of ortho, orthopedics called the Oak Point Method. He has a multidisciplinary uh, practice and he employs acupuncturists, massage therapists and also uh, cosmetic acupuncturists. Dimitri, welcome to the, the, the episode.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited.
0: Great, I'm glad to have you. We had a great pre-chat, so I'm excited to get into things. We have a lot of great content here for everybody to listen to. Um, Dimitri, we'll start out by talking a little bit about you know, your background, how you came into the acupuncture field, a little bit more about you that, that was not included into the intro itself.
1: Yeah, so actually, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but I, I actually grew up in Greece, and um, I came here when I was uh, 16 years old. And, um, you know, over the years going through school, um, I didn't, I I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like, you know, like you're 18 years old, you're kind of lost. I was lost with, you know, the big move at that age. And um, I um, uh, totally by mistake stumbled upon acupuncture. And um, uh, I'm so glad that that actually happened that day. You know, the stars aligned and everything was perfect. And I was introduced to this medicine and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing.
0: Great. So what, what was it about the medicine that, that you got you interested?
1: So when I was, uh, you know, around 2006, I was actually a personal trainer, uh, really successful at that. And I had a, like a perfect schedule. Like everything was, I liked it a lot. Um, I was working 6 AM to 12 PM, uh, four days a week. And then I would work one day, like nine, uh, eight to 2 PM. It, it was like an awesome schedule. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, I did want to help people a little bit more than just the training. And I didn't know how I was thinking about nutrition. I was thinking about other things as well, just to kind of tie in with my personal training. And one day my wife, who at the, at the time was my girlfriend, She, she was an esthetician um, and she saw something on TV on this like morning show about cosmetic acupuncture and how it can help with wrinkles and how it can help with, you know, helping uh, somebody look younger, et cetera, et cetera. So she's like, you know, I'm interested in that. So she called me up and I remember she, she told me about it. She was interested and I was like, well, you know what, I'll drive you to the school. I mean, you know, see where the school is and I'll take you because I had a car. And, um, we had no idea that the medicine is like, you know, we thought it was like a six month program, like to completely naive about it. And, um, as she was just having a conversation with the advisor at the school at the time, I was there listening, just, I just brought her there, but I was so intrigued by all the, the, the medicine and the history and the, the things it could treat. And, um, it just, I was just fascinated. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And I turned around to my wife, uh, or my girlfriend at the time. And I'm like, I'm like, if you sign up, I'm going to sign up too. And right then and there we signed up. We loved the school from the beginning. Um, we love the energy in the school and, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's how it all started.
0: <laughs> great, 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 and that's pretty rare that both you and your your wife uh, are practitioners. Uh, I'm sure that that uh, made for an interesting dynamic. You guys are both in the same clinic together, is that correct?
1: We are, and and she, you know, I'm, I'm I, I came, like I said, when I was 16, so English wasn't like my strongest. Um, uh, you know, it wasn't my first language, and it was it was really hard to. Um, to study, you know, I have a learning disability as well, like whatever I, I don't even mention that, but um, it was really tough for me. Like it was really hard for me to study and to to keep up in acupuncture school actually. Uh, but my wife was the one that would I, was helping me so much to study because uh, she's a, a great uh, a person to, to study with. She kind of breaks everything down very simply. She organizes information in a certain way where it's easy for you to remember. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was, it was, I think maybe after the first year where I I told her, man, I'm just like, I I had a good job. I had, I was really happy with my schedule and everything. And you go from that to back to school, it's really tough. And she was like, she was the one that actually kind of told me like, you know, stick with it. You'll, you know, you'll do fine. We're going to study together. We're going to get through this together. And thank God she did because, uh, Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been an acupuncturist.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's, yeah, that, that worked out really well then in that case. Yeah. So after you graduated from acupuncture school, mm-hmm. you obviously you were working before and uh, you decided to, to open a practice in New York city, which mm-hmm. by no means is an easy endeavor given the expense of, of real estate, et cetera. Mm-hmm how and the saturation find, of acupuncture by yeah, the way yeah quote unquote right mm-hmm. so how did you uh how was the startup for you was it was it easy was it uh, difficult to do was this a, well, a big challenge in order to start up in a in a city that that was there were so many obstacles to start
1: well um, just to to rewind a little bit uh I knew that I had to to gain, to, 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 have a mentor. I knew that I had to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, before I even graduated, I had an opportunity to work with one of my professors. He had, he owned a very busy clinic. He had several actual clinics. He still has them. And he, he literally approached me one day and he's like, listen, um, my front desk is not available, you know, is out sick and I'm slammed uh, on Friday at whatever day it was. I don't remember. He's like, do you want to come in and just like clean up the rooms after me and, you know, um, help me out a little bit? I was like, absolutely. You know, so I was like, you know, I would travel an hour to go to his clinic because I'm in Queens. He's all the way in Long Island, Ronkonkoma, which um, for those in New York, it's, it's, a, it's at least an hour if, with no traffic. So I just went out there. And after that first day, I, I, helped him up so, I helped him out so much that he's like, hey, you want to come in like, you know, on the weekends or something just to like follow me around? And I'm like, absolutely. And every weekend I would just go um, to his clinic and help him out. I, in the beginning, it was just cleaning the tables, uh, taking out the garbage, you know, opening needles for him and things like that. But I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll sweep the floor, I'll do whatever it takes. If I'm here, I'll do anything. And um, he really took me under his wing and he, and he really showed me, not necessarily the treatments. Uh, you know, he didn't help me in, th- in that aspect that much even though, you know, um, he did give me tips of course. But what, helped me, what he helped me with is how to run a busy practice and how to keep things organized and not chaotic. Mm-hmm. um and how to talk to people and how to explain our medicine to people and how to explain things like what cupping does for example without mentioning you know um, uh, the TCM lingo not that that's bad but you know when you're when you're talking to a patient especially a west like somebody who's not really introduced to this type of medicine before you want to keep things simple and he very effectively did that and he t- he taught me that i you know I picked it up from him So that was before I graduated, way before I graduated. So when I, um, grad, when I actually graduated, I worked for his clinic for a while and then I opened up my own clinic. Mm -hmm. So that's something I, I do recommend. Like if you, if, if there are students listening to this, you know, uh, find someone in the area that's successful, that aligns with what you like to treat and, and your aligns with your values and follow them. You know, don't ask for a pay. You're getting paid in, in, in the knowledge,
0: you know? Right. And I think also too, most of the schools have to have a professional assistantship program Mm -hmm. with a licensed uh, acupuncturist. Is that not correct in New York state, in New York state?
1: Um, they do have to have like, um, in a clinical setting, like in the, the school typically has a clinic at the student clinic. At the student clinic and there's a supervisor. Um, I think some schools used to, I don't know if they do now, but they used to have like, you know, um, you can do, you can get two credits if you follow somebody for X amount of hours uh, for the semester. I don't know if that still exists. Uh, I know there was one school that shut down that, that did have that kind of program, but, it should be <coughs> excuse me it should be like mandatory man like
0: even if it's not if it's
1: not you the 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 um, the students should seek that out
0: i agree and what, one of the things that i highly recommend for all students um, and actually practitioners if your business is slow your practice is slow and for students you know, make it your full time profession to see what acupuncturists are doing, go to the ones that are successful, right? Mm-hmm. And write down what are those key aspects of what makes that person successful and review it with a practitioner, mm-hmm. right? And that should be your, your course of study while studying the medicine as well. That's such a huge thing to emphasize. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's great that you did that. Um, So, a question about your—you're a specialist in, uh, or have some sub specialties? Is that not correct?
1: Yeah, I I I primarily treat orthopedics. um, Which, by the way, when I was in school, every professor was totally against specializing.
0: Oh, really? Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was it was um, it was a little frustrating because as a background. Um, you know, in personal training, and and I did personal training. By the way, I trained people that had previous injuries, or that were um, were discharged by their physical therapist, and they they came back to the gym and they wanted to start working out, but they didn't want to re-injure themselves, and they wanted to keep working on that uh, you know injured area, whatever that was, whether it's an old ACL injury or the lower back perniations or whatever. So my my personal training specialty, if you will, was to train those type of people. Now, when I was in school, I was like, well, this will be perfect. I can specialize in sports injuries. I, I'm, I understand it. Like I get it. I get surface anatomy. I I'm really comfortable with muscles, with nerves, with um, musculoskeletal anatomy, phys- you know, uh, functional movements and things like that. So when I was, pres- you know, asking my, my professors who I was looking up to at the time, they were all pretty much saying, don't specialize because you're going to limit the type of the amount of people that are going to come into your practice. And for anybody that's maybe on the fence and that's worried about that, I'm going to say this to save you because this is extremely important. And I'm, 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 I'm saying it to save you. And I'm, 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 uh, you know, underlying that <laughs> you, if you specialize or you niche in something, Like you have like an area of interest, for example, sports injuries or fertility, or it could be cosmetic acupuncture, whatever, whatever it is, it could be as simple or, or as you know, laser focused in as migraines, you know, you, that's awesome. That's awesome because you can really focus later on all your energy, your marketing and your, your knowledge on becoming an expert in treating that, those conditions or that condition. And you're also able to really focus your marketing on a group of people that need your services. Why, why focus and waste time and energy and money marketing to people that are not interested in what you're doing. Whereas you can re- be really laser focused and only attract people that you want, right?
0: Your ideal patient, your, your avatar. So that, that's um, such a great point is that, you know, when you're even looking at a Google search, People are narrowing down what they're searching for. Mm-hmm. So, if you have that interest, that if somebody's looking for that, that that's really really important. And it, and also it, it depends on what you like treating yourself, right? So, if you're passionate about a certain area, then mm-hmm. guess what? You're going to start attracting people that that you're passionate about, one way or the other. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, passion. Passion is definitely one of those elements. And I and I posted a video actually in the. Um, I think I posted a video. Maybe, maybe I'm planning on to, but <laughs> but I'm I'm gonna just kind of like say it right tuned. now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll, I'll kind of introduce. I'll break it down a little bit more in the actual Facebook group. But passion is one of those things that you need in order to identify what your uh, your niche is going to be, mm-hmm. your specialty. Passion is one of them, but it's not enough to just be passionate about treating sports injuries. The other element is that you have to be really a great practitioner treating those conditions you can't just be an average because long term it's not going to work out your business eventually will you know crumble if you're not getting patients better right or if you're not getting them better fast and then the third element that is okay can I actually make money by doing this so those are the three elements passion can I make money and being a great practitioner in that area in that field in that specialty whatever you want to call it those are those three elements that are needed in order to identify, okay, what is something that I'm uh, going to focus on? Because there's a lot of people that say, you know, when I, when I talk to them or they ask me like, should I specialize and What should I specialize in? They have one of the, one of the things that they say is that I'm interested in so many things. And I'm like, great. Okay, cool. Here are the three elements that are needed. And take each one of those things that you're interested in. And can you, can all those three be identified? Um, And if you can find at least one, then run with that one.
0: Because you can't, you just can't have one of the three or two of the three. You need to have all three. Right. That is such an amazing point. So, so important. And I think one thing that I would add there is the time factor of knowing that, if you're a generalist and you really have no idea of what you want to specialize in, don't panic. Mm -hmm. It will come Mm -hmm. as long as, you know, your journey was a little bit more condensed as far as what you really love to do and you're passionate about and you want to have like a subspecialty of, Mm -hmm. but for other people, it may take decades, right? Before you start to narrow in because our, our field is so rich and diverse. There's a lot of different areas that you can. So you know, school is a liberal arts education. Yeah, you're getting a smattering of a lot of different things, and even continuing ed is a smattering of a lot of other things that you mm. might be interested in. You know, when you feel you'll you'll get attracted to it eventually, and then you can go into a deeper dive of it. Um, so that, that that's a huge pearl that you just gave um, the listeners here. Mm. Uh, so, Dimitri, uh, you know, going a little bit further now. Now you you knew what you wanted. You have a specialty there. You're setting up shop. You have your wife. She's got her, her specialty as well. Yeah. Now, did you find setting up your, your, your practice, you know, as far as you grew fast, we talked about this in the pre-chat grew fast. You were able to attract, you were able to convert people into a care, get them going on your, your care plans and retaining mm-hmm. them for, for, um, um, and having retention. Do you feel like any of those areas of, of the growth and the process was a weak area or did you feel like you kind of you got it right away with your mentor experience in the past?
1: I mean, you're, you're always running into challenges as a, when you have a business um, and, and everybody's challenges are different because we actually are all different personalities, right? So uh, what might be challenging to me might not be challenging to another person and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So I think we all have challenges and, you know, uh, the, the growing, they're growing pains, right? There's, there are problems that pop up and some things are good problems like, you know, having a long waiting list. That's a good problem to have. At Mm -hmm. the end of the day, it's still a problem. You have to fix it. You have to like, you know, do take some actions to, to, uh, um, to, to find the solution. Uh, but, you know, uh, yeah, even though I, I had a, a mentor, even though I had someone that I was working for, he had his own style of doing things, which was totally different than what I like to do. Mm-hmm. And um, so I didn't like copy exactly what this, uh, you know, what my mentor did because it just didn't align with what I, not that it was bad or, or unethical or anything like that. It's just like, I just, Um, we have different styles, we have different personalities and that has to come out in your clinic. Right. Right. Um, it comes out, that energy comes out into your, your practice. So, um, the, 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 growth was, I would say it was pretty, um, yeah, I would say it was pretty rapid. Um, and there's many reasons for that. I mean, um. The fact that we're, we're completely honest with people, people appreciate that. The fact that we're able to build a great rapport with patients, that was another plus. The fact that I was doing a lot of marketing, you know, uh, and by the way, I didn't, it was all free marketing, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there was a little bit of a hustle in the beginning, but, but I would say it was, um, it was definitely a quick growth and uh, we just keep,
0: we're still growing. So for you, you know, it sounds like there was a couple of things just to kind of summarize there. Mm-hmm. So honest in front of patients telling them you're you're honest feel developing that rapport with the patients so that they feel like you're you're they can trust you, right? And that you know what you're talking about, right? And you're going to give them honest care. Those are those are mm-hmm. key components of why patients wanted to to stay with you, right? Now, reaching out and, and getting those, those patients that you wanted you know, with the marketing, what worked? What was something that, that, that was helpful? You have a big city there. Uh, what, was, yeah. what were some big fails? What were some uh, things that, that really worked for you? I think things that
1: were, really worked were definitely like the, the, the fact that I, I knew from the beginning, okay, this is what I want to do and this is the, the type of patient that I want. Um, the, uh, I identified that very early on and my marketing was just focused on those on, on that ideal patient. Um, so when I was doing my, my marketing was a lot of Facebook stuff so or, or in social media, I should say. So I would post, you know, six times a day and I would post quality content six times a day. I would write blogs educating people about uh our medicine and how we can help with conditions um i uh i was doing things like talks like i would actually go to a yoga studio and you know uh it's always better if in my opinion if if you actually do it because then people uh connect with you when they see you and they talk to you and they shake your hand right um so it wasn't i wouldn't say it was one silver bullet that Brought the success of the practice, it was really everything together.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: but one thing i would I, I would point out, and this is something I was doing without realizing is that we have to understand that we are holistic practitioners, and when when you when someone says they 're a holistic practitioner, I mean if you think about it the listeners now what 's a holistic practitioner, and are you a holistic practitioner and what I mean by that is a lot of people say. Well, yeah, I I, I, tr- I do acupuncture. I I treat the you know, I treat it. I treat pain naturally, right? That's that to them. That's holistic. Mm-hmm. But really, holistic, if you think about it, is not just the treatment part. That's treating the body, but there's a mind and soul there, right? The patient comes in; they have a body, mind, and soul. So you have to treat all three of those. Um, so that's that's extremely important. And I think when you start treating the mind and the soul, whatever you do at the physical level can get 10 X, right? You can get much better and faster results when you're treating, um, you know, when you're at a higher level of healing, not just, you know, technique wise, right. Technique is important, but that's only just one part of the picture. There's a bigger part as well. Um, not to get too metaphysical, but the, uh, I was doing this without knowing, I was just doing it by mistake. And then somebody kind of pointed it out. I was like, Oh, by the way, you know, did you know that you're doing this, this and that? And, and uh, I was like, no, but I'll start using it a lot more.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so yeah. So treating, treating holistically, and that's what kind of builds rapport with your patients. And then whatever you, you say, you know, cause your patients are right wide open on the treatment table, whatever you say actually starts becoming reality to them. Right. So if you, if someone comes in with GI issues and you say, Hey, we're going to do these points and we're going to actually have perfect digestive health, like they're open to that idea. And that's actually going to start manifesting a lot faster.
0: So mm-hmm. just, just that's great. throwing that out there. <laughs> no, I love that. You know, and, and we'll talk about this in a, a little bit, but incorporating that into your trainings for mm-hmm. your associate docs that are coming in there, that that's, that's, that's such an important part. And some of it is something you can learn. Some of it is something that becomes or comes uh, innately. And I think with the people that are in our field, it becomes, it's a little bit easier to do that because we're attracted to this medicine uh, mm-hmm. a little bit differently than uh, Western medicine, I would venture to say. So yeah. yeah, I agree with you on that one. Um, yeah, that, that's great. I was writing everything down over here. Thanks for that <laughs> pearl there. Uh, so we're getting to the the point here that that uh, with your practice, things were growing. You're growing really well. Um, you mentioned that you were getting a wait list, and uh, you, you were talking. We were talking in the pre chat about um, your vision of success uh, mm-hmm. at school, and it's not where you're at right now. And uh, I thought it was really interesting that, that you were saying that, Hey, I'd be happy if Mm -hmm. I start practice, that this would be the result. Can you tell a little bit more about that? I I thought that was a really um, great conversation we were having. Yeah. So, you know, when I was in school or when I
1: just graduated, I would say things like, I'll be happy if I, if I see five patients a day, you know, and I was really limiting myself. Big time. And I think a lot of us in our profession, sometimes we just limit ourselves, you know, why just say, oh, five patients a day. Why not say, I want to see at least 10 or 20 or 30 or whatever the, the number is, you know, whatever that person feels comfortable with. But, you know, can I just, I, can how I do, ask you the patient, right there? Yeah. Can I,
0: I hate to interrupt you. I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you, why do you think you were limited at that five?
1: I think everybody Has these these concepts in their mind, these ideas, right, that are fixed from our childhood. You know, like we, I'll give you an example. Um, You know, my uh, a mother is always anxious and about money, right? Is always anxious about money, and that that energy eventually gets passed on to the to the child, and then the child has anxiety right? About money. So they, they, because they think that, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. The mother, your mother said, Mm -hmm. not your mother, but I'm saying a mother might say to their child, the money doesn't grow on trees and that it's really hard to make money and it's really hard to, to make it. And it's hard to pay bills and, you know, all these things, right? Victim, victim, victim. And then we get this idea in our head or that child rather gets the idea in their head that, yeah, money is really hard to get by. And they always have problems with money, right? It's an idea that they have. But then you get another family that, you know, they just say things like, you know, money's easy. You know, it's easy to get money. It's easy to make money. It's easy to grow money and and, and get wealthy. Now that child doesn't have anxiety around money and actually is very successful and starts making a lot of money. So there's these ideas that we have in our head that are passed on, you know, maybe through different experiences. It doesn't have to be our parents. It could be in school. It can be in, you know, an experience that we had and, and it caused this fear, you know, it could be whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, so I was just limiting myself and I think everybody has that. And I, I think if we, you know, understand that we all have these uh, limitations, it could be different for everyone. You know, we have to kind of deep, dig down and, and, and figure
0: out why we have it and, and change it. Mm-hmm. and so for you when when you were looking at obviously you're doing a lot more than five now per day yeah right uh so how did you to what point did you get up to before you realize well okay um wow i'm seeing a lot or i'm kind of maxed out and at the moment like what was the number that 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 you felt very comfortable treating per day and how did you get up to that number
1: well in the beginning even like 10 was a lot you know, Mm -hmm. but now it's like, I've never had, I don't remember the last time I saw anything less than like 15 is like a slow day for me, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I think, you know, as you get better as a practitioner, you know, you, you just are able to see a lot more patients. And as you grow as a practitioner, you'll be able to spend even less time with patients and your treatments are a lot more effective. You know, like I had somebody tell me that, and this is it was a great analogy. He's like, what did you eat like two weeks ago? At, like on Thursday evening. I was like, I don't know. He's like, yeah, you don't know. But um, imagine now two weeks ago on Thursday night, a bus almost ran you over and you, you, you jumped out of the way. He's like, you would remember that, right? I'm like, yeah, I would. And he's like, well, you should be that bus in the treatment room. And I was like, whoa, like that blew my mind. Like, you don't have to spend too much time. You don't have to, you know, um, but if you're that bus, you're that, that you say something when you say it, it really resonates with that patient. And and like, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. I had um, uh, a patient. She's like, you won't believe this. My knee feels totally fine. Like, what do you mean? I won't believe this. I told you your knee's going to feel totally fine. Get on the table. (laughs) You know, like it was like, it was like, I already told you your knee's gonna be totally fine. Like, there's no surprise here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I was the bus. I was like, wait, you, I already told you you're gonna feel fine. Get on the table. Like, you know, it's, I was that bus at that moment. Right. Or, you know, someone, uh, I, I don't know if I, I posted this on Instagram on a story, uh, but I, I, I do manipulation. So I, I do, um, I did some, a low back, a lumbar manipulation. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, it was like a huge crack. Like it was, you, everybody heard it in the treatment room, in the, in the clinic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, it was like, and, um, and, uh, I said something like, you know, oh, there you go. I'll take care of your back. Like that, that, that sound, you know. Was, was the bus hitting the, the person, right? right? That sound was like, whoa, like something good happened there right now, right. you know, so. Right, right, well, that's powerful, that's great. Um, and I don't spend a lot of time with patient, by the way, like, but what, what I do is I make sure that I'm always the bus. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's interesting to note is that even though you don't spend a lot of time with somebody, the rapport is there. Mm -hmm. So making that connection with a person is not a linear equation where you're saying, if I spend this much, these many minutes with somebody, then I'm going to have this strong of a connection with somebody. That's not the
1: case. Not in my case. I mean, you know, everyone's different, but, and I don't want to impose anything, but it, it, I've tried it both ways and, and I've tried it where I would spend a whole hour with a patient and I've tried it where I spend it's they're in and out of the room within 35 minutes, 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, rapport is more about fascinating the patient and agreeing. This is something that somebody told me. Uh, it's not, to, I, I didn't come up with this. Uh, but yeah, it, you build rapport by fascination and agreement. And when you do that, you, um, it doesn't take t- a lot of time. Like I, this is another analogy somebody told me. And let's take the religious context out of what I'm going to say. Okay. Okay. Totally take the religious context out. Okay. But there's some amazing healers that lived, right? And that we know about. How many, how long did Jesus spend with people? And he would heal people with all sorts of stuff, right? I mean, again, I'm going to say that one more time. Let's take the religious context out. But Jesus didn't spend like, days with people he's like you he just you know look at them say whatever he had to say and the person was healed right mm-hmm. um so yeah it's it, it's more rapport that probably jesus was a person that had that energy that vibe that built rapport right away and boom like he get he got people better you know mm-hmm. fast so you know that's the vibe that we have to do like we have to go into that treatment room and b- build that rapport from the very beginning. And, um, once you build it, amazing things happen. Like people will come with all sorts of stuff that are quote unquote hard to treat and they're going to be getting amazing results with you. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. That, that is really, really important is that it's, it's a lot different of a relationship than when you see your primary care, maybe once a year. You know, we are, have high frequency with a person and mm-hmm. having that rapport, you don't have to be best friends with them, but you need to be their trusted advisor and they should leave with the feeling that, you know what you're talking about, you've done this before and it's going to happen again.
1: Yeah. Assuring that you can <laughs> help them. It's, right? You're assuring that you're going to help right. them. But just to piggyback off on that, you said the medical doctor, the the, the the building rapport can actually, uh be used in a negative way. And I'll give you an example. Um, let's just say a patient comes in and the doctor comes in and you, you know, the doctor, built, the doctor creates rapport without even saying anything because, you know, they have a lab code, they have, you know, a tongue depressor, they have like their name and script on the whatever, you know, they already have rapport without even having to say anything. Cause now the patient that builds build rapport is like, Oh, this person knows what they're doing. And the, 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 the doctor can say something as bad as, you know, which we hear this every day. Oh, you have, you know, X, Y, and Z. It's only going to get worse. You have arthritis. It's only going to get worse. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Like that patient has rapport with his doctor and a doctor that they have rapport with said, it's only going to get worse. Mm -hmm. Right. You're going to need, you're going to need the surgery soon. You know, like that, that's the type of stuff. So you can use it in a good way and you can use it in a negative way. And I think a lot of times, even as holistic practitioners, not knowing these, these, um, these, uh, what's the word? Not knowing this, what we're just talking about. You can sometimes set yourself up and your patient for failure. Like yeah. if you say things, oh, let's treat this and let's see what happens. It's like, well, you know, you're just setting it up for failure. But if you have the vibe, like... Oh, your knee hurts. Don't worry. We're going to improve nerve and blood flow to your knee. Your knee's going to feel great. Like, like that's a totally different rapport now that you have. Right. And you know, I tell patients, I expect you to get better. I expect your knee to feel better. I'll see you at the front, you know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, my doctor expects it to feel better.
0: Like that's, that's what ends up happening. Right. 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 It's very powerful. The word is a powerful suggestive tool, right? Uh So Practice. Let's go back to to you and your life. We're going back to challenges too. And Mm -hmm. you're rapidly growing. You mentioned that you started to have a a wait list. Now you got to the point where you said, Oh, Hey, listen, I need to hire people to help me out. Mm -hmm. Was this scary or was this part of the plan? Very scary.
1: I was, I was in denial. I was in denial in the sense that, you know, Oh, I have a like. It was like I have a waiting list, and I'm, I can't hire anybody. Nobody's gonna be. And I'm I'm saying this. Um, not in a negative way, but we we've spoken. You know, I've done a lot of continuing education. I've done a lot of studying and refining, and really, really trying to just sharpen the saw. And I keep sharpening the saw even today. Uh, so I'm not saying this in a negative way, but. I, I, it was hard. there's a there's a knowledge gap like when somebody's constantly studying and improving the there tends to become a knowledge gap with practitioners that just get out of school and just kind of stay there and they don't they don't really grow or they don't grow as rapidly right mm-hmm. so I was like, oh I'm not gonna even bother hiring somebody because you know most people can't even do the stuff that I do here or they don't even get what I do here right um so at first I was in denial and then I was like wait man this we can't do this. We can't keep doing this. There's people on the waiting list. A lot of times, I hear people going to other practitioners. They have a bad experience. Um, we got to change this. So I started. I, I switched again. My mindset is again. It was again a limitation, right? It was. Mm-hmm. It was something in my head. It was a limitation. So I had to switch it, and once I did, um, I started hiring people. And and one of the challenges is actually finding good employees. <laughs> That's something that I never thought would be a challenge. I would, my things were like, you know, getting people into the door and getting them the results and all these things. Those were my challenges, or I thought that th- those are going to be my challenges. What ended up being a major challenge is actually finding good employees. So, um,
0: and why do yeah. you think that was, I think, you know,
1: as practitioners, we open up our own practice. It's our baby you know, we give 150% and sometimes it's hard to expect an employee to give 150%. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of the things, uh, at best they'll give 70 or 80. So that's, that's one of the things. Um, and then it was about like trying to, uh, you know, train them properly. Cause in the beginning I, I just kind of like didn't train people properly and then they would do things their way but their way clearly wasn't working. And so there was an issue there. And then I had to come up with ways to train these uh, new docs. Um, So yeah, it's, again, it's, it's what we said earlier. There's always challenges along the way. And then you have to kind of roll with the punches and and like find solutions. Like I never was like, uh, you know, had a challenge and say, okay, like I'm just not going to, you know, I'm not going to push through with this. Uh, I just tried to find a solution for that challenge and then move on.
0: Yeah. You know, I've, uh, we were talking in the pre-chat about having an, uh, associate docs that are coming in. And mm-hmm. I found that that it was i failed. There were like experiments as far as... Mm-hmm. Creating in the environment the training systems there's a lot lot there um, to keeping and retaining the great the uh, great associate right and a great employee and I yeah. found one of the biggest challenges is getting patients to go over to my new associate mm-hmm. it was because we, we spoke about this just earlier is that you are developing rapport you're being honest you're mm-hmm. understanding the mind the soul in order to to treat the body right mm-hmm. and yeah, the so principles that's a, of healing so you've got this connection with a patient and then you're saying okay hey go to this other person mm. and Whoa. they say but i love <laughs> yeah. i love dmitri you know but you said but it's not a sustainable model for me to to treat everybody
1: yeah so, so, so Talk to so,
0: that, uh, Demetri, if you will, that's
1: great. That, well, the thing is, is that, you know, I, we constantly have at this point a f- constant flow of new patients coming in. So all the new patients just go, you know, immediately to the associate. Gotcha. Um, uh, my, my schedule is already full with my existing patients. So I'm not adding new, new patients to my schedule. Whoever's new is going to the associate. Um, Now there's, there's, as we meant, as we spoke about, like there's a lot of things that happen before an associate actually has a shift, right? A lot of training that goes underway, but, um, and that continues throughout, but yeah, all the new patients that are coming in, okay, this person is going to see them, you know? And then if, if, you know, once you have that rapport with, with the patients, um, you can, you can easily just say to the patient, Hey, listen, I'm not going to be in Friday, but you know, my associate is going to be here and I really want you to get a treatment in order to continue, you know, gaining, right. you know, um, uh, that healing momentum and they'll listen to you. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's even in our head, like what, what we said earlier. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an idea in our head that, you know, people don't want to go to the associate, but maybe if we change that idea, <laughs> maybe you know things start shifting in the practice right and people right. start going to the associate and like the associate
0: right and it's most important that people are coming in for acupuncture not the acupuncturist
1: yeah yeah especially when right. you're trying to, to
0: scale yeah that's right that's right so going back to to the challenges of of bringing in a new employee so you were, you were talking about different things to to make for an exe- a successful associate Uh, Could you, could you go through some of those different areas?
1: Yeah. So the, the first thing is that you want to, like I screen like resumes and some of the resumes that come in, I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe this person just sent this. It's like, you know, um, it's, you, you want to see growth. Like you want to see people doing continuing education that improving and sharpening the saw, if you will. Right. Uh, If you see somebody that's been an acupuncturist for 20 years, you ask them to, you know, you look at the skills section of their resume or their CV and they put Excel spreadsheets and they're not putting things like, you know, auricular therapy, acupuncture or something like that. Like something related to the field. Um, it raises like a question mark. Like why, what, what have you been doing for the 20 years? Are you still doing whatever you learned in school? Um, and I'm not knocking the schools or anything like that, but there's so much more out there. Like, are you not expanding your knowledge or your, you know, uh, your skill set? So uh, that's, that's one of the things that I personally look for. And then when they, when someone actually gets uh, the one-on-one interview, I want to make sure that they actually are, are open to learning our systems in our system, like in general, um, if they're not, and I see eventually, like, even if they start working, if I see that they're not following our protocols and if they're not fra- following, you know, the, w- the way we do things, our report of findings, for example, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera then we have to, you know, split our ways, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. And, and so for you, just kind of paraphrase there. Mm-hmm. So. They they want to enhance their learning that that they're a lifelong student that they they're willing to adapt change learn that that's really important um, mm-hmm. and that um, that they're that um, they're also interested in in the clinic and what you do specifically because you've got tried and tested systems in place but you want them to to be able to carry on your your system and treat mm-hmm. do you find that that that's uh, that's easy or hard for, for new practitioners um, to do when they're coming into your, your space? Uh, (laughs) If it's hard or easy, I don't
1: know. Um, You know, I think a lot of times we get really comfortable treating a certain way and doing things a certain way. Um, But, you know, um, you have to, you have to wonder, like there's a reason why this clinic has a waiting list, right? Um, so uh, clearly things are, we're doing things pretty good. Um, so the fact that you're not even putting the, or, or someone might not even put the effort to, to follow the systems, um, is troublesome to me. And, um, um, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, in the past, unfortunately I have actually let people do their own thing. And it it led to major problems,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I didn't get rid of them fast enough. Um, so I, I was the type of person that I was just trying to like coach people and like try to really help them grow as practitioners and follow these systems. And when they when they when I was putting all that effort and they weren't uh, pulling through, I would still keep them, unfortunately, and that was a problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I find that to be the case too. Is that that usually has to be you have a way of clinically treating and it's consistent, especially if you're going to be sharing uh, patients with one another. Mm-hmm. Because if one person's doing it another way and another person's doing it another way, then it's just the patient gets mixed messages. Like, oh, Dmitri is doing it; he's different points. He's doing it mm-hmm. differently than than so and so did it. Well aren't I getting the the uh, continuity of care that, that, um, that I was supposed to be getting. Don't you have guys have a plan? Don't you guys talk? Um, those are things that that goes through the patient's mind. So I think that that's, that's really, really important. I mean, there's many different ways that we can treat a patient and get similar results. Right. But it's the consistency of the treatment that that's really important and the plan. Right. Exactly. Exactly um any advice that you would give uh somebody that that's considering being an associate for any clinic
1: yeah uh quite a few things number one is that when you're going to go for an interview somewhere you want to research that practice as much as possible you want to know about the practitioners you don't want to just go there show up and say you know like if you have no idea that that place is a fertility clinic or that their niche is a fertility clinic and you're a sports acupuncturist, right? Like you want to have that, you want to have an idea on what the history of that practice is and who works there and who are the type of people that they're trying to attract. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, you want to constantly be the person that adds value to the practice. Okay. This is extremely important. Like, if you add value to a business owner or to a business, the owner sees that and they should see that as a good, as a good em- employer, they should see that would they have a star uh, employee and they'll take care of you. They'll pay you more. They'll give you that bonus. They'll, um, they'll make things happen for the, for you that are going to be beneficial for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. But when you don't bring value, when you just show up, treat and leave, and the patients are actually not coming back to see you, you have new patients coming in and they only come for one or two treatments and that's it. And that's not because they're getting better necessarily. It's more because the, that you've never presented them with a plan, right? Those are the things that don't, you you're actually affecting the business negatively. So, of course, they're not going to take care of you. Not only are they not going to take care of you, they're not going to keep you around, right? So that, that's, those are the two main things. Research the practice, research the practitioner, know about them, and then see what are the things that you can do to add value to that practice.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. And I, I think the other point, too, that I would add on to that is on the value is mm-hmm. fire in the belly. Yeah. If somebody is passionate, wants to do it above and beyond what is called for. That there's nobody's one job, right? It's well, that's, oh, that's not in my description. I'm not yeah, taking yeah. out of the trash. <laughs> yeah, that makes a big difference. That's again, that's I think adding value to a practice. But that's super, super important, and it makes a big difference. Is is to be able to see? Hey, I think this is a pain point for the owner. Okay, how can we make it better? How can we make our systems better? How can we make our trainings better? How can we do this better? Um, and having a conversation there that, that, that is, for me, for a practice owner, it makes a huge difference. And it's kind of like a sigh. Oh, okay, they understand. We're going, we need to go to this. This is our mission, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and also, uh, one of the things that I wanted to add to like a third one is being able to adapt. Like if a, if a business has been, has been around for quite some time and it's successful and they have certain systems set in place, you definitely want to follow those systems. If there are things that you can recommend to your employer or your, you know, the, the head of the clinic to improve and to make things even smoother, you know, obviously you want to do that. Um, but definitely, don't just take it up on yourself and and change things just because and change the systems. Um, you know, there, there's a reason why those systems are in place. There, they work clearly, and um, this is of course for successful practices because there. I'm I'm sure there are systems out there that are horrible. <laughs> yeah, right so, right. so you always wanna you wanna always be that um, uh, gives that that because you're 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 in the trench. So you'll be able to be like, you know what, can we, can we try switching this around and doing it this way? Because I think this, this, and this is going to be a lot better and we're going to be able to, I don't know, see more patients or sell a package this way or whatever, 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 whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, being, being that person that again adds value and, and, and um, is moldable to the point where, you can um you, someone can train you uh in a way and and uh reproduce what they've been already doing for for quite some time
0: right right yeah that's great um so for you i know i know that that you're you're building and have built a, a practice that that you want your practitioners to, to save for many years a place that mm-hmm. that's a great place to work You mentioned sharing a little bit about those components of for more specifically for those practice owners. What is that practice that will attract great practitioners, your A players and keep them there? Mm -hmm. What are the components of of, uh, a great uh, practice to work in?
1: Well, having a healthy environment, like there's no bitching. There's no, there's no talking about other staff members. There's no, no gossip. Um, gossip, exactly. There's none of that. That's number one. Number two, the training is not just in the very beginning. The training is continuous. So the training never stops. We're all becoming better practitioners as a team. Um, that's extremely important. Because when you have the right associate, hopefully that associate wants to grow and wants to, again, sharpen that saw. So you, you, you want those people on your team. Right. Um, and the other thing is, uh, paying them, you know, like you want to, especially when they're adding value, you want to be able to say to recognize that and pay them. Uh, I'll give you an example. I had a a front desk person and I think the, we started them out like with, I, I don't even remember. Uh, like $12 an hour or something like that. Like back, you know, when it was, so it's was 20, $12 an hour, but I saw that she was so good and made my life so much easier. I was paying her $15 by week two, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like maybe it wasn't week two, maybe it was week three, but I saw that she was adding so much value that I'm like, I can't give this person just $12 an hour. So we bumped it up. And then after about a month we bumped it up again because she was helping us so much more. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's just a simple example, just as that. Um, and also having good relationships with your employees. Like, you know, we go out and every, you know, like once a month, we have like a dinner. It's a little tough now. Cause my wife's pregnant again and, and it's harder. We have already two kids. It's hard to, to kind of get everybody on the same days to, to be available in the same times and all these things. But prior to that, Um, we regularly had, um, dinners, like we would go out and I would pay for everybody, of course, just to, just, just to kind of unwind a little bit, right. Mm -hmm. And create that good, you know, that family type of, um, relationship in the, in the practice. Um, but yeah, those are just simple things that I think, you know, simplicity, you know, you don't have to overcomplicate things. If you just keep everything nice and simple, right. uh, you know, things uh, things progress well, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think it's important. Like, it, your model of having an associate on is an employee. It's very different than than having a contractor there that's just going in and they're working out of your office. Right. I think that's truly one of the value adds of being an employer is that, you guys are working together, collaborating care, having a shared environment that that you're training together, you're working together, you're, you're, you're actually achieving the same mission together. I think that that is so important. And that's truly, truly a value add. And I think that the, it, it makes for a unique practice in that, that case. Mm. Yeah. Great. So for you, last question, we're running a little bit short on time here. Um, what would you what kind of parting words would you give to a new practitioner um, that's the first question and parting words as far as advice for somebody that's looking at uh, scaling maybe bringing on a, a new employee mm-hmm. uh,
1: well for, as far as the new practitioner is that you have to expand uh, above and beyond what you learned in school All the schools are good all the schools are are I'm not knocking them but you know, there—it's a the tip of the iceberg, and there's a lot more to learn when you're when you're outside of school. Uh, so continue learning, never stop learning. Doesn't matter how many years you do this. Uh, always refine your skills. Always learn. And work for someone. Like if you're in school, ask your professors, your you know, your your professors that have a clinic, hopefully, to um, follow them clean their rooms. Like, but you know, I don't know, like do something, (laughs) you know, uh, answer their phone calls, like whatever the the case may be, like do something to be in the presence of the practice Um, and, and pick up things as much as possible Uh, and work, you know, when you're in school, work for free, you know, just, that's what I did. And I learned a lot and it helped in the long run. And then for the new practitioners, this is again to, I would recommend work for someone. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, they open up their own practice right after school or they worked for a short period of time somewhere. I would highly recommend working in a busy clinic. Work in a busy clinic, learn how to juggle multiple rooms at the same time, learn how to speak to patients. Um, That's extremely important. And um, when you feel ready, then you can open up your own practice. Um, Now, as far as the employers go, you have to understand that, yeah, you're, you know, a lot of people on Facebook say, they say things like wax on and wax off, bitch. Like, you know, like, you you know, you're not, I'm not going to pay you X, Y, and Z money, whatever it is. Right. But, you know, at the end of the day, if If the person's bringing value to your practice, you want to be able to pay them okay that's that's definitely one thing you want to create a healthy environment, an environment where people would want to come and work okay not not like oh shit, I have to go to Oak Point again like you don't want that right you want to be like you want them to be to, to be to to be eager to come to work okay um, you want to also protect your employees in the sense of. You know, sometimes things happen in the practice where there might be a bad experience, right? Um, and you want to back up your employees. You don't want to like make them. You know, it's not always the customers' right. Like if something happens that's wrong, you have to back up your employee, and you want to, you know, um, just kind of stand up for them. Okay. And and you have to constantly have them grow as practitioners. Like you should do once a month, at least a a seminar together, or you should do a, a workshop in your clinic. Maybe you just teach a workshop on a technique that you learned and that you want them to to start implementing or how to speak and, and make sure that you're constantly refining your, your uh, report of findings, you know, constantly just getting better and better and better. Right. Um, So yeah, a, a a person would, especially new practitioners that are uh, that are working in associate model, appreciate those things. And you know, I I, I keep forgetting the, the gentleman's name, but the person that owns Virgin says that uh, you treat your employees good enough, they won't even want to leave.
0: That's Bronson. So, That's Bronson. I checked out his name. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, it's something treat. Bronson. Sir, yeah, I knew there was a sir in
1: there. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, you treat them well enough. Branson, Branson. You
0: know, no, it's Branson. I'm sorry. Oh, Branson. Okay. <laughs> we'll strike that. No, don't just strike it. <laughs>
1: so, uh, yeah, treat them good enough where they don't even really want to leave. You know, Right, exactly.
0: So. Awesome. Well, great stuff. Dimitri, Dr. Dimitri Volus, thank you very much. There was lots of pearls on this episode. I'm going to have to listen to it and uh, continue writing. I have lots of notes as well. So uh, thank you. Thank you very much for um, coming on the, this, this podcast episode. Is there a way if people want to get in contact that you would recommend um, so that they can reach out to you?
1: Yeah. So um, I'm on social media. It's Oak Point Method, O-A-K Point Method. Uh, that's on Instagram. On Facebook is, I think, The Oak Point Method. And my clinic website, if anybody wants to check that out, it's oakpointhealth.com. So oakpointhealth.com. And you can always, uh, there's a contact button there. You can always shoot me an email if you ever have any questions or if you're, you know, you know, I have people regularly just asking me questions, treatment questions and practice questions and things like that. So, you know, feel free to always, um, if you have a question, feel free to reach
0: out. Great. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, we'll be in touch. Yeah. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Thank you for listening. If you like the podcast, consider joining our Facebook group. Just search for clear path to success, professional development. Thank you all again.